Hey everyone, this is Reed Mahalko of ReadAboutSex.com and you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. And hi, I'm Robin Renee. And wow, we are here at the end of 2020, just about. How is everybody doing today? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from this year. <laughs> this year is, is too much. <laughs> it, it needs to be over. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I I got so distracted today because today was the first day that I could call to complain about the Christmas present, the one Christmas present I got and they sent me the wrong thing. So oh, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, oh wow. Yeah, I'm still I'm still I've sent a few. I'm waiting for a few. It's like the mail is was not cooperating with any particular date. So I'm, I'm glad that it's like the holiday season and no one's worried about, you know, the actual dates for getting things and that sort of stuff. But I, I hope that that's not been, that's not been the case of my uh, artist alley friends on Facebook. Cause all I see in that group right now are people saying, how am I going to handle this? It's like all of their customers are complaining that the gifts haven't arrived. No, no. office. I don't um, think that happened to me either. All of my uh, packages got where they needed to go. That's cool. Well, I have friends who are complaining about the same thing. Things mm -hmm. that they expected to get in the beginning of December, they still haven't gotten. Yeah, well, that's oh. uh, that's the Trump administration's fucking with the post office. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, I was going to try to have a Trump-free episode, but we Sorry. can't. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, January 21st. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so actually, uh, we had a party. Or we will of. have had. We party. will have had a party. We'll have had. <laughs> By the time you, you get you get to hear this, uh, Tuesday the 29th is a Leftscape New Year chill out. And uh, you will get to see what happened on It's Facebook. great. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We had so much fun. Yeah, I was tipsy. That will probably be true. That will likely be true. <laughs> um, but no, we'll uh, we'll have the party. Well, it'll be on Facebook Live, so you'll be able to check it out anytime uh, after as well. So we hope you will have joined us, and will if you and did we'll not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And now here are three random facts and the news. Did you know that? Alfred Einstein, the German-American musicologist and the nephew of Albert Einstein, was born on this day in 1880. I did not know that. I didn't realize that they were related. Hmm. That's huh. interesting. Cool. 
my random fact <clears throat> is goosebumps are meant to ward off predators. In this physiological reaction, small muscles attached to individual body hairs contract, which leads to the hair to stand on end. We inherited this ability from our ancestors in part as a way for our then coat of body hair to capture air beneath it and in that way to retain heat, but it also caused our ancestors to appear bigger than they were, helping to ward off predators when they were frightened or on the defense. <laughs> kind of like my cats. That's funny. I like wow. that. <laughs> I yeah, want to be able to do that, make myself like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> If only um, I had more body hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like a cartoon <laughs> reaction. Like, that would be so fun. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, my random fact is that most elephants weigh less than the tongue of a blue whale. That lets you know how big blue whales are. That is fucking bizarre. <laughs> I'm imagining the scales they're using to, to determine this. <laughs> yeah, coaxing the elephant to get on the scale. Somehow more like that Monty Python, you know, when they're wearing the witch against a duck. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> that one. I should. Oh, wow. That's funny. <laughs> so, uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy That's, New uh, Year. <laughs> Almost, right? Almost. Almost, Almost New Year. You were going to, we're going to, we're going to call it New Year. Yeah, we're calling it. Well, I mean, we're not going to be talking to you guys until we're a week or so into January. So because our our New Year party took place early. Yes. 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 So. And uh, later in this show, our guest today is author Allison Moon. And we talk about her new book, Getting It, A Guide to Hot, Healthy Hookups and Shame-Free Sex which has been released today, December 29th. So go out and buy it. Awesome. Uh, after the interview, Mary Robin and I talk about, oh, not that. Not that. <laughs> because let me, I'll, I'll cop to this. So I was supposed to have some information about the etymology, etymology of the word squirrel. And I totally don't because... I'm a jerk. No, <laughs> no, no. Um, maybe, maybe one day I'll geek out on something squirrels. But uh, Wendy Not saved the day. You're going to geek out on something else, right? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Wonder Woman '84 and why everybody on Twitter hates it. Uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to hear about this because it's been yeah. a phenomenon. It's really I interesting. I didn't hate it, so I was really I'll looking forward to it. It's okay. We'll we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> before before we move on to the news, we want to give a shout out to our Leftscape listeners. And if you're new to the show, hello and welcome. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we had a lot of. It seemed like we had a lot of new listeners uh, last week or so, and that was really great. So really glad uh, for that. And um, just so you know, you can catch a new episode of Leftscape every other Wednesday. And you could subscribe on our website, Left Scott. Left Scott. <laughs> I said I'm starting to drinking early. Is that what's happening now? I don't know. <laughs> Leftscape.com. And, uh, you know, you can find us. We've got on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you want to listen, you can likely find us there. And uh, while you're on our website, sign up for our monthly newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout. 
I just have to jump in here and say, though, I have always said the word leftscape is difficult to say. And although it to read it, it looks really cool. <laughs> and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leftscape. Follow us on Twitter at leftscape. And follow us on Instagram at leftscape. And I want to give a special shout out to our new patrons. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Your support helps make this show possible. And we really, really appreciate you. To support the podcast, please join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash leftscape, where we've got extra content and we've got something coming up this month. Every month we have extra content and fun stuff. You can join us at the front row seat level for just a dollar a month, and it goes up from there. And thank you again so much for your support. We really need it, and we really, really appreciate you. Yes, you rock. Mm. And now, here's all the news we can handle. Okay, the CASE Act was signed into law as part of the stimulus package on Sunday. This establishes the cop a copyright small claims court where individual artists, writers, and musicians can sue for remedies for the theft of their intellectual property without having to hire a lawyer first. There is a cap on the maximum penalties available through this system of $15,000 for one infringement and $30,000 for multiple infringements, as opposed to going through the federal court system where you can get like $150,000 for an infringement and things like that. This is not legislation that was brought on by the big corporations, as I have been seeing on all of the clickbaity, scary, oh my God, this legislation is not going to let you share memes on Facebook anymore. Oh my God. Everyone's freaking out. It's not that. This legislation was introduced by bipartisan legislators, and it's been supported by artist advocacy groups for visual artists, musicians groups, and writers groups. And the main groups not in favor of the CASE Act are tech groups such as Google, uh, because I guess they're seeing there, there might be some sort of liability uh, for, because they can't just willy-nilly take people's IP and just use it. And we'll have a link to uh, the Graphic Artist Guild's uh, FAQ on uh, the CASE Act. So all of you artists out there, don't freak out. This is actually good for you. Yeah. Um, what, do you what do you think in practicality, like how will it manifest? I don't know. I if it Well, for an example, um, I don't know if you've seen usually if there's there's bots out on social media now looking for posts that say, oh my God, put this art on a t-shirt because someone did an experiment with it. And they had like pictures of like Mickey Mouse saying this is stolen art. And they said, had people comment like, oh, put that on a t-shirt. And then like within 20 minutes, there's like this t-shirt site that has that picture on a t-shirt. Okay. And then they sell, you know, the one thing about copyright infringement is to actually have damages. Somebody else needs to be making money off of it. Oh, so because you had me worried. I was wondering about YouTube and uh, music. Yeah, and... I, well, YouTube, there's 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 a whole thing with YouTube and music, and I'm not going to get into that, and I'm not going to get into inter intellectual property law because I'm not a lawyer. But uh, YouTube 
is paying the musicians. If you've registered your music, there's a way to tell YouTube, like, yes, people can use my music, but when they do, I get money. And right. YouTube deals with that. Right. Um, yeah. My music is, is licensed. Right. And I get pennies for yeah. quarter, <laughs> people using my music. A, cent, a quarter of a cent per play. That's my Spotify <laughs> royalty. So, <laughs> so listen to my songs lots and lots over and over and over. I sometimes do, actually. I, I do, do, too. <laughs> that's cool. But anyway, yeah, that's... Okay. that's okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I see a lot of, like band merch that really doesn't come from the band and that sort of thing yeah. and, and Im imagery and things, you know, so that I always try to go to the original website and go like, okay, well, I like this craft work, you know, uh, face mask, but did, did craft work put this out or what's, where is it from? You know, craft work licensed them to do yeah. this. We small artists, this is how we, you know, put food on the table and pay, you know, keep a roof over our heads. And when people, you know, rip us off, it's, it, it hurts a lot yeah. more than, you know, than, uh, than the grandma making plushies out of Disney fabric. Right. That was that. No, that was it. It was like she bought the it's licensed fabric, but it says on the edge of the fabric, not for not for resale, which I think isn't legit. But that's my own thing. And Disney sued her. I guess she was a she was like an example case. Wow. But they really they this was like 20 years ago. Disney is not Disney and Warner Brothers. And. I think Funimation are very, very, very protective of their IP. Funimation is an anime company, if you mm -hmm. didn't know. So um, I know a lot of the, the people who are freaking out about this are people that do a lot of fan art. and But I don't think they're in any... It's not worse for them because like the people who've been going after them are still going to do that. And they were able to do that before this law got passed. So it doesn't hurt anybody and... It's a it's a copyright tribunal and it's a, like for small claims. So like if somebody like stole my design and is selling T-shirts and I want to sue them for a couple of thousand dollars, then I can do it without having a lawyer, you know, and I don't even have to be there. I can just send this case and they will figure it out and make a judgment. So hmm. new developments. Thank you for sharing that. I wasn't aware of this whole I think so. That's good to know. Good to know. Yes. In other news, we have a new snake. All right. <laughs> it's actually not new. It's just it was it was kind of hiding in plain sight. Uh, this is the newly identified Levitonius mirus, which is also known as the Ware dwarf burrowing snake, and it's native <laughs> to the Philippines. Okay. And uh, ouch. Yeah, ouch. <laughs> My cat jumped on me. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were bit by the snake somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, it's interesting that, let's see, it was in the in the University of Kansas's Biodiversity Institute, and it was like in their collection. And they just, people were just like going through it. I think it was from missions. They found three different specimens between 2006 and 2012. And it was just kind of overlooked. Like they were just going through things and they realized. In other words, that, they had the snake in their, in their archives. Yeah. And it was just there. And they there. didn't realize it's a new snake. Right. They just realized this had never been seen before. It's a new uh, genus and species, actually. Wow. 
It's it's unlike any other. So that's interesting. It's uh, I have a CNN article about it. If I find any more comprehensive article about it, I will definitely put it up on uh, on our show notes. But I thought that was kind of cool, yeah. finding new new creatures in the world. And and from April, they found a new species of turtle. Uh, yeah, April. that was cool this year. And I only saw the the Facebook. I only saw a picture of it yesterday, so I thought it was like new, new. But when I clicked on the link, I said, "Oh, it's April." But I'm talking about it anyway because this is the new animals discovered this year. It's so. new to you. Yes, and it's new to 2020. We yeah. <laughs> see, I, this is the news I like. It's just like <laughs> I, my, it doesn't hurt my brain. The, the the political news, like you know, we have to deal with stuff, but. It's the end of the year. I'm taking a break <laughs> for a little what, bit. What's cool about that turtle is it looks like a stone. And then that's why it was hi- hiding and hard to see. But then it also has a really big mouth so it can just swallow its its prey hole. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it looks so because it has this big mouth, it looks like it's smiling. Very, very cool. And tentatively, there is a new beaked whale, really? which was found off Mexico's coast, but it's not confirmed yet that it's completely new. So they're still trying to figure that out, I suppose. But that's pretty cool. And a uh, new salamander species? Yes. Carolina Sandhill salamander. It's cute. It is. But I would have it as a friend. <laughs> and a new gecko nid? A new what? A lizard. It's oh oh gecko. Oh okay. It's it's uh, a polyphyletic geckonid genus. <laughs> <laughs> it's in India. Well, I guess that means um, the polyphyletic probably means that it's you know limbs and tail grow back because mm. I know geckos will regrow a tail. If it comes, I mean, actually, the tail coming off is one of their sort of defense mechanisms. Like, if something grabs it by the tail, it will de- it will detach its tail and run away. Wow, that's uh, talent <laughs> or something <laughs> or evolution. Grow back. Yeah. So they got a new one of those. There's a new frog, which is good because frog species are dying. So finding a new one is good. A devil-eyed frog. Yeah, that sounds like a like a bluegrass song name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you write it? I should. I'll get back with the mutant mountain boys and sing about the devil-eyed frog. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh, there's a new greater glider species. What's a greater glider? They're like sugar gliders, I guess. Uh, they're possum-like mammals native to eastern Australia's forest that mostly survive on eucalyptus leaves. They found three different types as opposed to one. Wow. So, so that's cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. I feel like it helped. Oh, sorry, Mary. Oh, I was just, I automatically was thinking of all the fires that were in Australia and all the habitat that got killed. So maybe this is pushing these creatures out into the open so we can see them. Or hmm. they... Or no sooner do we discover them than their habitat gets burnt away. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think discovering helps because people will, someone who cares will be um, (laughs) trying to figure out what we can do to preserve all these species, you know, and if they don't know they are there, they don't, they don't know what to do. So I think it's, uh, 
I think it's a good thing overall. And, and a, uh, a new spider species called the Loridia phoenixii, which that's is a freaky looking thing. <laughs> yeah, it's categorized as a velvet spider, and it was named after Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, really? <laughs> because it boasts a pattern that apparently resembles the Joker from the villain villain's namesake. In, the, oh, in that's in funny. The- I like that. <laughs> I don't know how many times is it has an animal been named after the actor who played a role in a movie. <laughs> I, this has got to be a first. I don't know about actors. I know that there was a dinosaur named after uh, Mark Knopfler because <laughs> the guy who was discovering them, he was like really into Dire Straits and was just like playing Dire Straits the whole time or something. <laughs> but it kind of gives new meaning to Dinosaur Rock, I guess. <laughs> but, but that was cool. That was a, that was a long, while ago. Yeah. So anyway, this is a lot of different animals that were new and or that were discovered this year. So that's that's a really uh, positive thing. Yeah, that's encouraging, cheerful cheerful thing. Yeah, and we, you know, and I think about when I was traveling a lot, playing gigs and stuff. I mean, the we really have a beautiful world. I mean, I drove the most of the u.s and and i've traveled abroad a bit i would love to travel more but there's there's beauty everywhere that i've gone and i really appreciate our world and so yeah i'm encouraged by this it's cool yeah and uh that's all the news we can handle this year yeah mostly about cool news (laughs) today I'm Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models. And I'm Alana Phelan, the polyamorous librarian. Together we write the For Hire novels, and you are listening to The Leftscape. The shape of progressive conversation. Well, I am very excited to be here with Allison Moon, and she is the author of five books, including the award-winning Sex Ed Guide, Girl Sex 101, and the forthcoming Getting It, A Guide to Hot, Healthy Hookups and Shame-Free Sex that will be released on December 29th. So hi, Allison, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Wendy. So my first question is your book, Who is Your Audience and What? do you hope for them to get out of reading it? Oh, gosh, that's a really big question. Well, so I'm a sex educator, and I wrote this book, and I I write all my books when I see that there is a kind of a gap in what instructional books are addressing and how people are living their lives in real life, right? So a lot of my peers have casual sex. A lot of people that I know enjoy casual sex, whether they're in open relationships or they're single. And at the same time, a lot of the information out there about hooking up or hookup culture, um, air quotes around that, um, are, are very scolding. Or if they're not scolding, they kind of presume that people are engaging in casual sex on their way to finding the one, right? Yeah. And 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 if that's what people are doing, that's great. But I see a lot of my my communities actually engaging in sex throughout their lives, and they either might be out of relationships or they're serial monogamous, and they kind of go through slut phases here and there. And I wanted a book that was affirming, that was gender inclusive, that was sexuality inclusive, that didn't presume 
how people wanted to have sex, but I just wanted to give them tools to do it with, with full awareness, with as much ethical and kindness treatment or treatment for one another as possible. I just wanted a book that people could relate to uh, wherever they are in their sexual journey. And I think I, I think I got pretty close to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I read it. Um, you sent me a, I guess your, your script copy for your audiobook version. Mm -hmm. And I read it through very quickly, but I loved it. And I have to tell you, I came to my sexual maturity in like the early mid 1970s and the landscape was completely different. Mm. And if this book existed, I, I wish that I had this book at that time because I it would have saved me from a lot of learning experiences. Mm -hmm. Let's let's just leave it at that. Yeah, no, I, and I, that's the thing. I mean, sex is something that we are out of all the things in this world that we learn. Sex is something that we're supposed to only learn from experience, and unfortunately, because of that, some of those experiences aren't great. And you know, a lot of us are taught that well, we just have to you know dust ourselves off and get back on the horse. But that's a really hard thing to say when we're talking about intimacy and vulnerability and our bodies. And so I think that like studying up a little bit is actually a really good thing. And something that I've really enjoyed is as the reviews for this book have rolled in is that, you know, obviously right now people are not engaging in hookups as much as they might in a safer time. Right. <laughs> um, but a lot of people are saying, you know, get this book to study up now so that when you are released into the wild again, you have a lot more self-awareness about what you're looking for. You have a lot more tools to use to have better sex with your partners. And that's been really edifying to hear that it's really kind of people are suggesting like this is what you use before you go out into that into the, the wilds of dating and, and casual sex. So just make sure you shore up all of your I mean, your resilience, but also just the information that you have about yourself and other people. Yeah, that's yes. And I, that was actually one of my questions is um, what has what how has hookups changed like casual hookups changed during the uh, during the pandemic? Well, so I have to say, I hope that they have. I mean, I, I hope people I mean, we still see stories of sex clubs and sex parties getting busted by the cops right now. And I mean, for the first time, maybe in history, for good reasons. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that people are still very much hooking up, but I think that, you know, what I want to impress on people, like I, I wrote this book before, before COVID, right? It's been in the editorial process since COVID started in America. Yeah, it's the, the book, for those of you who aren't familiar with the publishing business, books are generally, the release is like a year after the writer has finished yeah. writing it. <laughs> yeah. And so of course, people are asking like how I address COVID. And so I don't address it specifically, but, you know, I do talk a lot about safer sex. And this is something that I found to be really interesting in this current time with the pandemic is that we sex nerds, you know, porn stars and sex workers and just sexually creative people have been having these conversations and we're very adept at the conversations of how my bodily how how my bodily choices affect the people around me. And so, you know, a lot of people who don't have to have that conversation were really confused as to now how to talk about, you know, your quarantine, your quarantines and your your pods and all of the ways in which you're talking about how your health affects those who who are around you, who you live with, who you visit. And I thought it was really interesting to just notice how those of us who have sex with different people 
are kind of just, okay, like, what do you need to feel safe? This is what I need to feel safe. When were you last tested? This is when I was last tested. And this conversation is just part of what we do. And so now seeing that conversation disseminate into the wider world has been really interesting. Seeing how people are, are comfortable or uncomfortable talking about, you know, test results and safer like boundaries and protocols um things that we took for granted in so many different parts of the world like parts of our our daily society now we're being much more deliberate about and we have to say like well this you invited this person over why what's their life like what choices have they made and suddenly we're ha we're all having safer sex conversations even if we're single and or monogamous and i find that fascinating yeah it's it's like the it's like the the STD conversation has has expanded. Yes, exactly. You know? And it, it and before the pandemic, honestly, I was really uncomfortable talking about. Um, I have herpes, and mm -hmm. I got it. I I, I got it because I was drunk, and I didn't say no when I should have said no to something. But and that was one thing. It's because it's been very out of my life for years because I've had this for 30, 40 years at this point, mm -hmm. and this year. With the pandemic and our political thing, I have been getting outbreaks regularly. So sure, sure <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like the sign of like there's the shit wrong in the world. But um... yeah, it's like a little barometer for how how <laughs> fucked up the world is. It's totally true. I mean, yeah, it's stress absolutely influences our health, and it's yeah. I think it's sometimes like <laughs> amazing to see just how directly that happens. But it's also also to me, it, it makes me COVID has made me realize. And it's also because my gay friends have pointed this out is the gay community has already lived through this, mm -hmm. you know, in the in the 80s and the 90s with with HIV. And now it's like, see, this is what we all had to be doing for forever. And Absolutely. anyway, let's <laughs> let's no, get back to yeah. sex. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think it's all part of it. I think. And that's the thing, like talking about responsibility, like I think that, you know, we often think of a casual sex as being irresponsible, right? And again, when you look at the STI rates among porn stars, among sex workers, you're finding that they're actually much lower because they take their sexual health even more seriously than the average person on the street because that's part of their income. It's part of their job. Yeah. And so taking that stuff seriously actually makes you a better sexual citizen. And I think that that's something that I want people to learn regardless of what you do for a living or how you move through the world is that the more thoughtful you can be about your choices, the better off not only you, but everyone in your community is. Yes, yes. So going back through your book, some of the things I really, really appreciated was your hitting on communication being so, so important in these, in even casual relationships, even more so, and, and also in your more serious ones. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that aspect of your book would make it applicable because I, for example, I'm in a monogamous relationship for close to 30 years at this point. And I got actionable material from reading your book yesterday that I put into <laughs> practice last night and we had really, really great sex. Yay! So <laughs> <laughs> that makes me so happy. That's like a great endorsement. It, it's honestly, yes, go get this book. Read it. Give it to your kids if you have adult children. You know, everybody <laughs> needs this book. Oh, the one thing I, I, I really, I really also I liked a lot was your, um, your casual sex bill of rights. Mm. That was that was a great list. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I wanted to put that up front because again, I think people think that 
when you engage in casual sex, you have to lower your standards. And I think it's quite the opposite. I think the higher your standards could be, the better quality you're going to get. But the problem with that for a lot of people is that so many of us, we're going grocery shopping starving, right? So we make bad choices. And we have to remember that, you know, even when we're hungry, that doesn't mean we should just lower our standards such that, you know, we we let anyone in. And I think that that's something to really affirm and to really realize, like, these aren't just good ideas. These are the rights that you have as a sexual person in the world. And again, we often talk about we don't want to talk about sex and we don't want to talk about the complexities of it and because our society just really hasn't figured out how to do it. And I think the, that the folks who are gravitating towards a book like this are kind of they're the thought leaders around sex in their communities. They're the people who will help their friends through weird times or difficult choices. And so I want to kind of raise the 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 sexual cachet of of these communities so that we can actually have more enlightened conversations. It's not just, you know, how to convince a girl to go home with you and, you know, pick up artist stuff, right? I wanted this to be about really treating sexuality with the with the reverence that it deserves just as though we would treat our intellect and we would treat our spirit and we treat our bodies like it's a good idea to really invest some time and energy into just raising your abilities to have difficult conversations around sexuality because it just makes everything better and it makes life easier as you go for sure yeah it's i think for me personally i know communication has always been an issue because there's, oh, you know, especially when I was younger and in my slut phase, when I was sowing my wild oats, there was a lot of unspoken assumptions mm -hmm. that ended up le leaving us on, maybe not the guy was unsatisfied, but I certainly was. So yeah. <laughs> and, and it's fair. To, I mean, the, the, there's certainly the gender stuff that, that flows into all of this and, and power and privilege in our society. But I think that, you know, to be a little gender normative, like men experience that kind of stuff just as much as women do, but in a different way, right? Like yeah. men are taught they're not supposed to have feelings. They're, men are taught that they're kind of supposed to just like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am it. And that leaves them just as, as feeling empty often as well. And yes, they might more easily have an orgasm during, you know, penetrative sex, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they felt seen and witnessed and held as the entirety of the person that they are either. And so I think the problem is that we're all just thinking that we have to, in order to gaze, engage in casual sex, you know, like sand down our edges and leave our baggage in the hallway and not talk about who we are as real people and what we want. And I think that the more we can start to talk about what we want, even from maybe a fleeting encounter, the more satisfying those results are going to be. Right now, what happens is everybody kind of just assumes like they're going to go with what the other person wants. And, and then we all end up going to the restaurant we didn't want, right? <laughs> we all end up having the meal that we didn't really like because we thought the other person wanted it when they were thinking that this is what we wanted, right? And the yeah. more we can just say like, hey, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm up for the better those interactions will be. But in order to have those conversations, you need to know who you are and what you're about. That's the, that's the tough part is yeah. knowing, is knowing who you are, <laughs> especially right. when you're, when you're young and you don't know, you haven't figured it out, but it's, yeah. I, I, I've written down a few notes that as I was reading um, and one of them, I, I think it's cause you made me laugh uh, something about performing because this I think something you didn't want is is to have everyone performing at open mics to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's a little and that's not really an anecdote, but it's kind of a tip talking about just like how to be 
how to get how to find people to date in the first place, right? And I, I mentioned that like there's a reason why athletes and actors and musicians have reputations for getting laid. And it's not just their talent. It's that they literally get on stage and perform their talents for crowds of hundreds or thousands of people. So you are basically advertising yourself being cool or talented or attractive for a job. And so what I mean by that is like, I don't, I'm not necessarily suggesting that everybody perform at open mics to get laid. Please God, <laughs> let's not all do that all at once. That's tough. Um, but we need to be out in the world. And again, that's a very strange piece of advice for this current time. But there is this 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 need to actually interact with people. If you want to be touched, you have to be touchable, right? And we yeah. have to, we can't just isolate ourselves in our silos. And as an introvert, I absolutely want to. Like I've been emotionally pretty okay during all of this social isolation because I, I like being alone a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but if you want to go out into the world and meet people, you, you, you gotta you gotta go out into the world and meet people, and it sucks and it's hard. And it's like my least favorite part about sex and dating, but it's also really fundamentally important. And as like if you like playing World of Warcraft all the time, you have to then get your guild together and go out to dinner every once in a while, right? Like you have to you have to get out from behind the computer and go out into the world in whatever ways feel comfortable for you. But this is how that works. And that's what reduces our feelings of isolation. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's easier said than done for sure. I'm, I'm jumping all through all around your book. Mm -hmm. um, I also appreciated your, I don't think it was an entire chapter. It was a section in one of the chapters listing in I'm not even sure if it was in in like a uh, progressive order of just a, a lot of behaviors that are creepy mm. and you know as something that you may not even be aware. I mean there's some that are obvious about being creepy you know something that would be creepy but but you described all of these other behaviors that I've experienced from people and I may have inadvertently because I'm not realizing like, Oh yeah, I guess that was creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, something that I might've done at some point in my life. And I, I really appreciated that list of things. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's a tough one. Cause I, I, I think people are so afraid of being called creepy because it, it really feels like it's this mark of like sexual pred predation. Right. Yeah. But I also think, and often it is, but I think sometimes it's also just like, awkwardness and people who are maybe on the spectrum get called creepy unfairly. And, and there's just all sorts of ways in which social cues are really challenging and important to, to monitor even more so. And yeah, like certain things like being attached to an outcome or treating people like video game characters you want to move around, you know, and like, and then getting upset when they don't behave the way you want to. Like, these are really subtle things, but they actually really pay, play into power dynamics and the complexities of feeling safe to engage with people. And yeah, I think it's it's great for, to, for people to kind of just self-assess and be like, oh, oh, yeah, that was probably not, like, that was kind of creepy behavior that I did that one time. And so it's just helpful for people to kind of notice that stuff. Yes. Yes. That, and I think that was it. It was like the, it was for me personally, it was the, the getting attached to a specific outcome mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. And then it's like, oh, and then there's, and then there's, then there's the anger and the 
resentment. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that can be dangerous, like flat out dangerous, right? Like if you start to resent an object of affection because they're not behaving the way you want them to, like this is where things get real fucked up real fast. Oh, yeah. And so I think <laughs> it's really important. And I mean, actually, I do mention this even in Girl Sex 101, which is my book that came out before getting it, which is about it's a book for queer women specifically, but a lot of straight men like it as well. But I mentioned that, like, you know, the the best part about not getting attached to outcomes is how many opportunities open up, right? Like, I, when you hit on somebody and they're not into it, like, oftentimes, especially in lesbian communities or queer women's communities, those people become, like, your best friends or your or your the babysitter for your kids or like you you know in, invite them to apply for a job at your at, at your office because you just thought they were a good person like when you're not attached to like I have to have sex with this person tonight suddenly there's so many more opportunities for a connection that can open up that can be really fulfilling um, and because of the the non traditional you know culture of of queer women oftentimes those relationships are very permeable, very, very, very complex and beautiful, um, as opposed to like a, a straight singles bar where it's just like everybody just feels like they're on one one team. Right. Yeah. This is this is kind of a turn <laughs> in mood. No, it's when you when you get it's towards the end of the book and you're talking about uh, outcomes that you may not want to have from sex, like mm -hmm. an unwanted pregnancy, for example, and then and then you give. I'm very pro-choice. Mm -hmm. So I've had, I have had personally, I've had two abortions in my life and, and I probably going to get mail about that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I do want to mention, you talk about um, an organization, abortionfunds.org, which mm -hmm. I did not know existed until I read your book. And no, good. And that's something because I live in New Jersey, mm -hmm. they have enshrined a woman's right to choose in the in the state constitution. So no matter what the Supreme Court is going to do in the future, I'm safe. The people where I live are safe. But I know that that's not the case elsewhere in the country. And I want to be able to help women who don't want to have a baby be able to do that. Yeah. So yeah. that is a great yeah. group to send my money to. So yeah, they're great because it's, it's direct action, right? It helps yes. people get you know, motel rooms in neighboring cities. It helps them get cars to go to, because again, like places like Texas, places in the deep South, you know, there might be one clinic in the entire state and it just becomes prohibitive. If you can't yeah. afford the fee for the abortion, then also to rent a car and then also the hotel room and then also, and then also, and then also like it's a financial burden. And yes. so, yeah, just being able to donate and know that like this, I just bought somebody a rental car for the weekend. Like I just bought them a safe harbor. Like that feels so important. And and again, for people who live in states that are like like Jersey, where it's enshrined, like it's easy to forget how how prohibitive and how nefarious these various laws have gone to, even if they have, you know, the enshrined right to choose, that they've they've figured out ways to make it nearly impossible for a person to make that choice. Yeah. And and yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a great that's a great organization that literally saves lives. So yeah, <laughs> yes. So thank you for thank you for telling me about it, and and now everybody else. So yeah, we can pre-order this book 
like right now on Amazon? Yeah. Is that is that well, the deal? Is that, is that you how this works? Pre-order it anywhere, and I strongly recommend, especially now but always, to to order it from your local favorite indie bookstore. Okay. Um, so you can do that by just walking into your favorite indie store. You can also go to bookshop.org. Um, and cool. yeah, and so if you go to girlsex101.com, you'll see right on the homepage is a is a link. And then if you click that, you get like seven different options to pre-order the book. And if Amazon is your jam, <laughs> by all means, I'm not going to tell you not to. But, um, you know, Barnes Noble, independent stores, um, audiobook pre-orders are available too. So if you want to pre-order the audiobook, if you're more of a listening type, I assume as a listener to podcasts. Um <laughs> that then you can also pre-order it there too. So yeah, there's a bunch of different ways to pre-order the book and it releases December 29th and it'll get automatically shipped out to you um, as soon as it drops. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And the other thing that's throughout the book that I also, so many things I appreciate in this book is, <laughs> and I honestly, I don't rave about everybody's books really. <laughs> I mean, it's, it could just be because I had really good sex last night because of your book, but you know, <laughs> Whatever. Listen, I'll it, take works. It. it works. It works. That's um, my whole jam. I want to get people laid. This oh, yeah. Well, do. you're getting me laid, and, and I'm very happy about that. Right. And uh, that you have these sample dialogues, mm -hmm. and and that's, you know, and I used one of those. Instead of, instead of like, going up, which would normally we'd be getting undressed to go to bed and, like, trying to size each other up, like, is he, you know, am I, is, is she too slot tired to fuck? Is he too tired to fuck? What's his mm -hmm. mood? You know, I, I tried the, uh, I have an idea. So <laughs> that was, that was your line. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> I used it. That's great. That's actually a gift from my partner, Reed Mahalka, who was a guest on your podcast a while back. Yes. Um, episode 69. Yeah. <laughs> which is perfect. Yeah, but he he came up with that in a threesome workshop, right? Like to how to, once you've determined that the three of you are interested, how do you initiate the sex? Because there's always going to be an awkward moment, right? And I have an idea is great. And it's not just great for threesomes. It's great for all sorts of things, but it's because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of silly, right? It's kind of, it's kind of sweet. And so, you know, it's, it, there's a nice moment when things get awkward or when you're like, I'm feeling something, but I'm not sure if my partner's feeling the same thing. Just you're just positing an idea. I have an idea. And then almost always the person will be like, what's your idea? <laughs> and then you can share the idea. And then it really just offers an opt in. Right. It's again, it's not being attached to an outcome. It's saying, hey, this is a thing that might be fun. Are you yeah. up for it? And if they are, then great. And if not, then it offers an opportunity for them to either suggest their own idea or for you to come up with another idea that might be an opt-in, right? And yeah. so it really, it's it's low pressure and it's a great way to, once things are, once you've already established rapport, kind of move things in the direction of, our, like, this might be fun to try. Yes. And and I just, I, the book helps people, it, it, it upped my communication game and in in minutes just by reading it's like oh well I, you know because i i guess my brain is ready for this but <laughs> yeah but i know communication is so so important in any relationships and mm. just being able you know you're giving us all permission to talk about stuff that yeah. we're usually not comfortable talking about 
Yeah. Yeah. And and the scripts are actually very important to me um, because I think, you know, this book has a lot of like bullet pointed lists. It has a lot of frameworks and it has a lot of scripts. And that's because that's how my brain works. Like I can read theoretical texts, but it's hard for me to figure out how to apply them to my life. And when we're talking about sex, which is so fraught and so scary for so many people to talk to, especially or talk about, especially when you're really into somebody, right? Like you have all this crush energy and you're scared and like it's it's juicy and delicious, but also frightening as hell, right? having a script to be like, oh, like this is maybe something I could try. I think it just helps people find their way into the material more, which I just know is a good learning technique for people when they're trying to really integrate this into their brains. That is awesome. Is there anything else, any other projects or any other, like are you doing like live streams or something like that that you would like to tell us about? Sure. Well, uh, when does this air? Sorry to ask. It may it may be airing uh, Monday okay, <laughs> or great. Wednesday. It may be airing next week. So okay, yeah. Well, so I do teach workshops. I haven't been doing a lot of live streamed workshops lately, but I will probably be doing more of those in January. So the easiest thing to do to just kind of stay abreast of what I'm working on is um, going to girlsex101.com or following me on Twitter at Hey Allie Moon or on Instagram at Allison underscore Moon. That's A L L I S O N. Those are the easiest ways of figuring out because I am teaching work shops come in in the coming year um and then i will you know i'll be doing all sorts of things and once we are free to run through the wilds i'm sure i will be going to various cities and teaching workshops and doing parties and stuff like that so i absolutely invite people to follow me on the social meds so that i can figure (laughs) out where i'll be that's awesome thank you and thank you so much for being with us today this was great oh thank you wendy appreciate it My mother's book, A Morning Moon, is back in print as an ebook through Amazon Kindle and Kindle Universe for the first time in 20 years. Set at the turn of the 20th century, this novel follows the trials and tribulations of a Jewish family from the shtetls of Eastern Europe to the streets of New York. Available now at Amazon.com. A Morning Moon by Paula Rybell. Welcome to the Geekscape where we talk about geeky matters <laughs> and today's installment is going to be about wonder woman 84 which dropped on in theaters and on hbo max on christmas day and i watched it on christmas day because my normal you know i being raised jewish it's like christmas day is the day to go to the movies and have chinese food yeah we- we did. <laughs> we didn't go to the movies. We stayed home because, you know, COVID. Uh, one of our friends actually rented the a theater complete. You know, because uh, the theaters are doing that right now. You can rent the whole theater just for yourself. So you I saw take- that online, and oh, I yeah, was wondering if yeah. they actually rented it. But yes, he did. They did. They they rented uh, they rented the movie theater and watched Wonder Woman eighty four. That's amazing. I hope it was worth it for them. I you know. 
the thing is Twitter, the Twitter sphere kind of exploded with hate for the movie, which my daughter pointed out to me. I did not go on there to see. I'm not a good Twitter user. I have issues. I don't know. I never could figure it out, but I watched the movie. I did not hate it, Uh, (laughs) but there are some, I guess, ridiculous plot points and people who are big DC comics fans um, I know they were upset with well, how. You. No, it's not me. I am not a big DC Comics fan. I no, I said they will take the issue. Oh yeah, well they, it's because Max Lord and uh, Cheetah Girl or whatever her name is. Um, those two characters have a much broader and better representation in the comic books than they got in the movie, and I will totally uh, not disagree with them because I have nothing to base that on. And I'm pretty sure that happens a lot with the bad guys and with, with uh, side characters that are in a movie where, where they have their own, their own titles that they're much more prominent and, and they have a lot more depth and they bring the character out. I, I can see that. I mean, somebody told, um, and I will, I guess I have to preface this. Uh, with big spoiler alerts. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I didn't hate this movie is because my expectations got set within the first 15 minutes. And I'm going to explain that. I mean, the opening scene, which was on Theraskaya or whatever, their, their little island when Wonder Woman was a, still a child, that was beautiful. And I loved watching that because it's it was a... a basically a a race for the best warrior on the on the island or something and she was doing very well and then she didn't that was beautiful and i loved watching the athleticism of all of the women in that scene Uh, you know there was it was you know it wasn't all cgi these women are very very athletic and they're doing all kinds of wonderful stunts and and it's just just really great to watch it um so that was nice. And then we come to the modern times and it's 1984 and there's a whole bunch of shit happening in Fairfax County, Virginia, where I grew up. Oh, interesting. So it really well, was that's what that set my expectations because the mall was not in existence there and it sure as hell didn't look like that. And it sure as hell didn't have five floors and um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was one thing. And then it, it, this was like the little stupid things. And then the Fairfax County police vehicles, that's not what they look like in 1984. So you're, so you're yeah. feeling like if they were going to do something that was so in a it, historical, in a place, they should have done the research. So and made since, it. They, since they didn't give a shit about that, it's like it's, that kind of said, okay, so so when so when uh steve trevor gets into a modern jet and he has no problems flying it that's a lot of people had a problem with that i see right you know and it's like i don't care and and honestly the fight and then when i didn't realize that was kristen wig as the as the bad guy because in the previews every time i see kristen wig in in like a preview of something i keep thinking it's jennifer aniston and I don't know why they, this is the blonde hair and the, and the look of the face, but I realized they're not the same person <laughs> and someday I'll be able to tell them apart on a, in a, you know, a two second flash of them, but she turns into cheetah and 
when she's fighting with with Wonder Woman, with Wonder Woman in this beautiful golden armor uh, with these great wings. And, you know, part of me is going, wow, how are they going to co- how are people going to cosplay that? You know, this is like I'm not paying attention to the plot mm-hmm. or or any ridiculous bullshit that's going on. I'm looking at the costume saying, wow, that was going to be, they'd have to use Mylar for those wings. Otherwise they're going to be too heavy. You know, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm not caring that that this character is, you know, acting this certain way, but that fight scene just reminded me of something out of (laughs) She-Ra. So, you know, my mind is not where I'm supposed to be getting outraged. Like, oh, they're not handling this character properly or whatever. Because that I wasn't invested like that. And But that kind of says something about the story <laughs> then. If you're much more interested in what, looking at how things are made. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, and it's your particular geekery too. Yeah. yeah. Like that's what you're interested in and you make things, which I love about you. That's well, I would never, I, I wouldn't attempt this. So <laughs> I would love to, I would love to wear that costume. So it's, it was, so I didn't have like this horrible experience. I didn't feel like I wasted two and a half hours of my time or any of that, you know? <laughs> and it, the one thing though, the guy playing Max Lord uh, is the same actor who's playing the Mandalorian. Mm. And and he seems to be getting a lot of work these days. But all I could see of him throughout the entire movie was 80s Trump. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> you know, so in that respect, I had some like, I, I was like, not wanting to get really involved in it because every time he was on camera, I was like, ew. (laughs) But I mean, you know, really, I mean, the guy was like this megalomaniac and he turned into basically a wish stone. So he was granting wishes to everybody, but it was like monkey paw wishes because if he gave, if he granted your wish, he could take something from you. Mm. I never heard that. The monkey paw, that's a, it's a short story. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, a, okay. it's you know the wish. It's like you know the you wish have has a it's like a genie type of yeah, thing. There's a price for the wish, and the price is usually makes your wish suck. You know okay. that yeah. kind of thing. Like oh, you can have a million dollars, but I'm going to take your health. You know? Yeah, um, or your your mother died and left you a million dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, but it. So everybody's wishing for things, and the world is is changing and getting very bizarre, and things are just blowing up everywhere and getting it was, that that was interesting it was kind of ridiculous uh, but i the the infinite greed of that character just reminded me of trump too much so <laughs> right they probably did that on purpose too Maybe. so are you, saying you don't want to make somebody so unlikable that you can't stand to watch the movie yeah, like, you know? <laughs> but so are you are you saying it's worth me paying 15 dollars a month to get hbo max no no, no, not for that. I, it, mm-hmm. HBO Max has other things. The his Dark Materials is really, really, really good. Uh, yeah, I was thinking not, of that. It's not complete. You know, it's not a very. It, my brother read the books more recently than I did, and he's he's reminding me where it's varying from the actual from the books. Um, but it's way better than the Golden Compass movie. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. yes. So I don't know what else to say about it. It's just like it just because because I I picked up on the inaccuracies at the beginning of the movie. I didn't care about the whatever else. I mean, 
I don't think the Smithsonian has its own runway, for example. Uh-huh. You oh, know. Wow. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> how much does all that matter? Like, I guess my question is, I know you, too many de- wrong details. Will that like turn you off to a movie completely or? Nah. It, it just, just so it makes you just think about it differently. Yeah. It just, it, it, like I said, it set my expectations. Okay. You know, I didn't, I didn't expect them to pay attention to, well, I knew they weren't going to pay attention to physics from the first movie, but you know, right, right. <laughs> it, it's a superhero movie. It, <clears throat> it's supposed to, you know, it's escapist. It's fine. That's kind of how I think about it too. It's like when you see they're supposed to do things that no one could do anyway, kind of, you know, and so I don't worry about like, oh, well, that wouldn't be realistic or that wouldn't be possible. Now, I know in some kinds of fantasy, people do want it to be plausible more somehow. Is that true? I guess. Yeah, well, if you really want to get in, if you want to, like, if you immerse yourself in it and you want to, and you're pretending that you're living in that area, that milieu you know, uh, it, it would upset you, I guess. And Mm -hmm. then once people start pointing out these other things, like there was, um, there's some issues with like the story, like how Steve Trevor gets to be resurrected, you know, that whole thing. There's, there's problems. There's like ethical problems with that. And there's some of the decisions that they were making in the script are, you know, they're questionable and it's, and it's, and I think, Originally, Steve Trevor wasn't even going to be in this movie, but I, I guess they wanted Chris Pine in there for box office. I don't know. So they figured out a way for him to be in there and they could have done it better. Mm. They could have done some things better, but it's like, you know, it's a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah, not well, ex- you know, I'm not expecting high art from this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing what Robin was saying about the, about your expectations of reality or what gets screwed up. But the thing is, if if you ha- you can have a wild, crazy book or movie or story, whatever, if you establish what your what your boundaries are and the rules of this particular world that I'm creating, it's a wild and crazy world, but it has its own rules. And if you obey the rules, but it, then if you go and break the rules, then that screws it up for you. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think if they did that, I didn't notice. I'm sure if it other people could have noticed that, you know, I enjoyed watching it. I mean, if you're if you're looking for more artistic stuff, the, the Disney Plus Christmas Day offering of Soul is a much better movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. that I, I, I saw you tweet, tweeted about that much better movie. And I am now in love with John Batiste. And that's all I have to say. I'm <laughs> Oh yeah, John Batiste. I always like him. Yeah. On, on the Colbert's late night show. He yeah. does the piano work on there. And he's very good. Phenomenal. And that was the problem I had with that movie. I'm going to geek out way more over this one than the other one. <laughs> well, I was going to actually, I, I tweeted at you. I said, hey, maybe this will be a, a, a why is this awesome? Because <laughs> he seemed really excited about it. Oh, well, it's, you know, I'm watching a movie and I want to close my eyes and just listen to the music. Mm. Like, you know, you can't do that because it's a movie. You're going to miss something. <laughs> right. So I have to watch it again where I could just like chill and, and listen to the music because he's playing. He's playing jazz styles from all different 
people and eras. And it's like, I'm listening to this one thing and I'm going, wait, is that, is that McCoy Tyner? Is that, you know, and it isn't. And it's like, he, cause it just, it had just a couple of riffs that were like uh, signatures of these other famous jazz pianists from mm. eras past. And he just throws that in there to get, it, it's basically a crash course in jazz. And it's really, 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 I mean, there's other stuff going on that's really interesting too, but other than, which I'll talk about another time, but it was like, it was like a really, if you like jazz at all, you should just listen to the soundtrack. And it was a Trent Reznor did this too. I mean, he's been wow. doing a lot of soundtrack work. But, but this is on That's Disney. Cool. Disney plus. Yeah. Another one I don't have. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, that's cool. Thank you, Wendy, for that. And I'm going to, I'm going to really avoid the Twitter war about this. I, I've been enjoying one of the things I've enjoyed about 2020. It's like one of the hidden gems, I think, is that it took me out of these subcultures where like people's opinions really matter about all these things, you know, and there's always <laughs> war about something. And this year, I guess I've just been a little bit outside of that. And not, and it, this shit doesn't matter. Yeah, it's <laughs> so we're upset about a movie or about some, you know, somebody's, joke or whatever i'm i'm not well, well, I'm what a little bit this, relaxed and not worried what about, about this year did that to you what about uh, well i think just everything's slowing down and i'm not i'm not meeting in person with people who are who were engaged in that as much or at all really mm. so and it's it just, also yeah it's also it's not that important in light in the, in the grand scheme of things yeah <laughs> well it's, some of the some of the political things i think are worth you know paying some attention to but not killing each other other over a word or two or a past or you know hmm. i think it's you know you can you can engage those concepts without it becoming you know, like I said, we're all at war all the time. Yeah, or friendship ending. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. And then some of the things that are just dumb, like about whether or not you like a movie or a comics, you know, book or something. Right. That needs to; those wars need to go out of my brain. Cancel culture. Yeah. Hear your take on it. Yeah, I, I, that's that's the one thing that it certainly did for me too. It, it really. I, the only thing I have to say about about the haters is like write your own fucking story and then put that out there. That's you a good know? thought. Exactly. You, know, <laughs> if you think you can do it better? Do it. We're you know we're we're really hurting for new material, obviously, because we keep remaking things. So remaking Dune again, for example. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. More, more. All right, write your own story. Yeah, your you don't like that? Write your own. <laughs> otherwise be quiet <laughs> good plan well thank you yeah you've been listening to the leftscape podcast sound engineering by wendy sheridan show notes by robin renee fake sponsor messages by thomas limoncelli web hosting by InMotion, and remote recording by squadcast if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.